that you came in, you'll see these cards right here. Jesus is King. How many of you guys know that Easter is right around the corner? Right around the corner. It's in just a few more weeks. Four weeks, I believe it is. April the 12th is Easter. And so here's what we're asking you guys to do. Take these cards right here. And of course, we'll be giving them out all the way up till then. But take these cards. And on the bottom, you've got three separate tabs that you can tear off and invite somebody and then bring somebody here for Easter. We're doing two services for Easter. We're doing a 9 o'clock service and an 11 o'clock service. So keep that in mind as well. And then also on the back of the card, I am inviting and praying for. Who are these three people? You're not just giving them the card and then forget about it. No, you're praying for them. You're inviting them. You're involved in their lives. So just wanted to bring that to your attention as well. Another thing we do around here from time to time is we go in a season of prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. And a lot of times we do this coming up and leading up to Easter. And so we're doing that this year as well. 21 days of prayer and fasting starting March the 22nd through April the 11th. March the 22nd through April the 11th. Again, praying and fasting leading up to Easter. And we're believing God that souls are going to be saved. Lives are going to be changed. Healing is going to take place. We're believing that God's going to fill the house so that people can hear about Him and experience Him. So, I want to encourage you guys. Write this information down. Get it somewhere and get involved in this. I don't know what it looks like for you as far as fasting. I know some of you, you may need to consult your doctor and everything on this. Uh, you know, fasting is not one of them things where you're like, dude, I fast from 10 o'clock p.m. to 6 o'clock a.m. Amen. That's, that's not really fasting, brother. That's sleeping. Amen. So, so what does that look like for you? Uh, I just want to encourage you to get involved. Get involved and be a part of that leading up to Easter. So just throwing that out there to you guys. Are you guys ready for the word today? Ready for the word today? Starting a brand new series today called Word. Turn to somebody and say word. Yes. And we're going to be talking about God's word, the Bible. Brought my Bible up here for you guys today. So we're talking about God's word. And it's interesting because you may be asking why is that so important? Why is it so important that we spend a few weeks talking about God's Word? Because that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to be talking about the validity of the Word. You know, can you really trust God's Word? We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about how to study God's Word. We're talking about how do we apply this Word to our hearts, to our lives. So we're going to be talking about that over the next several weeks. And again, the reason why this is so important is because if you remember back in January, when we started this year off, we said, hey guys, we're going deep. We're, we're going all in for Jesus Christ. We know that God is a speaking God and we want to hear his voice. What is God saying to you? What is God saying to me? And here's the thing. When you lean into God, when you make a decision to go after God, what happens next? The enemy of your soul rises up. So Satan comes up and Satan has tricks and snares and weapons. He tries to knock you off course 
powers to keep you from being and doing what God has called you to be and what God has called you to do. And so the way that you're able to stand up and say, nope, not today, Satan, is you have to combat the lies of the enemy with the truth of God's word. So that's why it's so important for you to know what God's word says. The B-I-B-L-E. How many of you ever heard that song? You learned it in, in, in Sunday school. The B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God. The B-I-B-L-E. And again, why is that so important? Because we're living in a culture where people don't understand the word. They don't understand it. They, you know, it's just a bunch of words on a page. No, here's what Hebrews says. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says the word of God is alive. It's active and it's sharper than any double-edged sword. So you understand what that scripture is saying right there. It's saying that the truth in this book is alive. These are not just words on a page. It's life transforming, it's powerful, it's active in every single way. And yet, even though it's alive, even though it's active, even though it has the power and the ability to change hearts and change lives, yet so many people neglect it. They don't accept it as truth. Matter of fact, we live in a culture today that says truth is a moving target. So whatever I say is truth, that's truth. And so now there's this battle that's raging that says my truth is greater than the truth. Again, truth is a moving target and it's out there. And you understand that when a generation takes on that kind of a mindset, then we start doing everything that Proverbs chapter 3 verse 5 says don't do. And that's we're leaning to our own understanding. And this always happens when you've got a generation or a culture that neglects God's word. And that's why the psalmist says in Psalms 119 verse 16, I delight in your decrees, I will not neglect your word. The word neglect there, it means to lay aside, to forget. And unfortunately, so many people today have neglected God's word. They've laid it aside. They've put it on a shelf. It's just collecting dust. And, and they're saying, well, I, I don't really know that I can accept this as being the source of truth. I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's an outdated book. It's, it's a collection of good stories. Maybe there's some comforting poems in there. But I'm just going to do what's right in my own eyes. Again, there's this, this attitude, truth is a moving target. But yet with all of that going on and all of the, 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 the naysayers, if you will, out there, there is still a remnant of people that believe that this book is the compass for our lives. That no matter who may disagree with it, no matter what persecution you come up under, we still believe that this book sets the direction for my life, my finances, my career. This book is my spiritual north star, if you will. It's everything I need. And I think all of us in here today can agree that there are questions that we don't have answers for. So where do we go to find the answers? Well, we need a compass. And here's the truth. We have a compass and it's right here in the Bible. But yet today, so many people, they've, they've put it aside. They put it on the shelf and they're not using it. They've neglected God's word. You know, I remember when I was younger... I used to love to hunt. I would deer hunt and squirrel hunt and rabbit hunt and raccoon hunt. And I remember one night, a buddy of mine, we went out and we were raccoon hunting. And we had been hunting about all night long. And we said, look, let's turn out the dogs one more time. Let's get one more and we'll call it a night. 
So we stopped out at this swamp. We turned the dogs loose. The dog run in, treed almost immediately. And we were like, well, doesn't sound like the dog's in there too far. Let's just walk in there, get the raccoon and come on out. We'll call it a night. Great. So we walk in here. Well, about 10 minutes in that walk, we realized that dog was a lot further in the swamp than we thought. Well, we kept on walking. We got there, walking. Look, you're in the swamp. It's pitch black dark. You're in water, and you're walking around a tree like this. We finally got the raccoon, put it in the pouch. I looked at my friend. He looked at me, and I was like, which way is out? He's like, I don't know. So can I tell you something? We spent the next three hours walking around in circle in a swamp Our batteries were starting to go out, which means the light that we had was starting to dim. Finally, we just stopped and said, just be quiet. Well, we heard a car in the distance. And I said, you know what? Let's walk towards the car. So we walked towards the car. We come out at a road. We were a half a mile where the truck was where we walked in. Here's here's the point of the story. We had a compass. We had something that could have got us in and got us out in a good amount of time. We left it in the truck. We felt like we didn't need it. Can I tell you something? Because here's what I've discovered about my own life. My own life is a lot like that. Every time I've missed the mark, every time I've gotten lost, every time I've gotten off track, it was because I didn't take time to read the compass. And so that's why it's so important for us to understand and know what this book says. And understand this book is the sole source of truth. And I know that people would reject that. Well, what what makes me think that's it? Why can't I read the Quran? Why can't I read the Book of Mormon? Why can't I read this book or, or that book? I mean, I don't know, Pastor. This thing, it was written a long time ago. Can it be current? Should I really view this as a sole source of truth? Well, let's just look at what the Bible says about itself. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 says this. All. Turn to somebody and say all. All means all. In Greek, it means all. In Hebrew, it means all. In English, it means all. In Pig Latin, it means all. All Scripture is given by God and is useful. So this, this, this book right here is useful for some things. What's it useful for? For teaching. For showing people what is wrong in their lives. For correcting faults. For teaching how to live right. Using the scriptures, the person who serves God will be capable having all that is needed to do every good work. And you may ask yourself, can that claim be true? Does the Bible do all of that? And the answer that I would give you is absolutely yes. So in the time that I've got left today, I want us to look at some evidence that can support that. Some general evidence, some specific evidence that can point you and turn you to this to say, this Bible right here is the sole source of truth. You can trust it. You can lean into it. You can know it. So let's look at some general evidence first of all. General evidence that this Bible is true. And here's the thing. I believe today that regardless of what your position may be or may not be, I think we can all agree when it comes to the Bible, there's three things that we can agree on. Number one, it is amazing in its writing. It is amazing in its writing. It's interesting. We call this a book, but it is actually a collection of books. 
There is 66 books from Genesis to Revelation, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. This book right here was written by 40 different authors over a period of 1,500 years. So you've got different authors, different time pe- uh, periods. Some of the Bible is poetry, some of it is history, some of it is parables. But from one cover to the next, it all weaves together a simple story. It is a love story. It is a love of a creator for his creation. It is a love of a father for his children. Every single chapter, every single verse, God has divined and inscribed in this book who he is and who we are in him. It is amazing in its writings. Someone once said, is it possible that 40 people completely unknown to each other, written, writing in different languages, writing in different countries, is it possible that they can produce a book that is so consistent in its theme? And I would answer to you, no, it's not. Unless there was one behind them, one writer, one author who is God Almighty. That's why it's amazing in its writing. But not only that, it's honest. The Bible is honest. I would even dare say it's brutally honest. I am convinced if I was to go through the congregation and say, okay, guys, I want all of you to write an autobiography of your life. No doubt every single one of us in here would leave some stuff out. Why? Because there's some stuff in our past that we want to leave in our past. But this book right here, the the autobiographical uh, material in this book is honest, brutally honest. I thought about a guy by the name of Abraham. Abraham who was considered the father of our faith. He is the, the father of the Hebrew nation. And let, he, yet he lies on a couple different occasions just to save his own skin. Gives his wife to other men and yet God used him. I thought about another guy by the name of Jacob. Jacob, who was the father of the 12 tribes of Israel, and yet he cheated his brother. He cheated his father-in-law. He was a liar. He was a swindler. He was a trickster, and yet God used him. I thought about in the ancestral line of Jesus. Now now track with me. The ancestral line of Jesus. Can, can you imagine the, the holiest of the holy needs to be in this line? Like, like if you are somebody, you need to be in this line. And yet in this line, it talks about a lady by the name of Rahab who was a prostitute. Can you imagine writing about Rahab the prostitute in your ancestral line? It's kind of like you guys do at the family reunions. There's always that one person you kind of you walk around. You don't want to admit they're in your family. This was Rahab, and yet God used her. 2 Samuel gives blow-by-blow details of David and Bathsheba, how David had an affair with Bathsheba. Then he had her husband killed, and then he tried to cover it all up. And yet, this is the man that God said, he's a man after my own heart. God used him. I thought about even Jesus' own hand-picked disciples who fought over who would be the greatest. And we see this in Matthew chapter 20, verse 20 and 21. Then the wife of Zebedee came to Jesus, her sons with her. The mother bowed before Jesus and asked him to do something for her. Jesus asked, what do you want? She said, promise, watch this, promise that one of my sons will sit at your right side in your kingdom and promise that the other son will sit at your left side. These are his hand-picked disciples and they're battling over who's going to be the greatest and who's going to get the chief seats. Here's what I know. Every time you read this word right here, the Bible does not pull any punches when it comes to sin. 
It does not cover anything up. It does not hide anything. And what is so amazing to me is Abraham, Jacob, Rahab, and so many more are listed in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And here's what I can say to you. If they can make it, so can I. If they can make it, so can I. In other words, I'm not concerned with what you've done. I'm not concerned with where you've been. And the God of heaven and earth wants you to know as long there is breath in you, He's not done with you. There's still something He wants to do in your heart and in your life. He wants to use you today. And it's honest when you read its writings. It's amazing how this book all weaves together this love story. But then the third thing is it's durable. It's durable. Since the days that this Bible was written, people have set out to wipe this book from the hearts and minds of men. I thought about a guy by the name of Voltaire. Voltaire predicted in 1776 that 100 years from the day he died, there would not be a single Bible on the earth. 100 years from the day he died, there would not be a single Bible on the earth. And yet within 50 years after his death, The very house that he once lived in was used by the Evangelical Society to be a storehouse for Bibles and gospel tracts. And the same printing presses that he used to print all of his works that talked about how the Bible was useless and you couldn't trust the Bible and the Bible would be gone in a hundred years. Those same printing presses were used to print Bibles. And now today, the Bible is translated in 1,200 different languages. There's different dialects this Bible is translated in, with more coming out all of the time. And the warehouse that Voltaire once used, once had, to store all of his books defaming the Bible, saying it's not true, that same warehouse was used every single day to ship thousands and thousands of Bible out to Eastern Europe. Even in America, some would have you to believe that this Bible is old. It's going out. You can't trust it. You can't believe it. But yet, this Bible has been the number one bestseller as long as that list has been established. Every single year, year after year, it's number one. It's never been unseated from being number one ever since the list was established. Can I tell you something that's durable? It's going to last it's honest. It's amazing in its writing. Let me just ask you this. How many of you in here say you've got a Bible in your home right now? Raise your hands. Everybody got a Bible in your home? Let me ask you something. What other book on the face of the planet can you say that? It's durable. It's made to last. But let's look at not just general evidence. Let's look at some specific evidence as to why this Bible is the sole source of truth. Let's look at historical evidence to start with. And some people say, well, if if the Bible came from the God of the universe, then it ought to run simultaneously with, with history, right? I mean, the Bible talks about cultures and peoples and nations and kings and, and, and human interaction with God and how it changed their lives. And there ought to be evidence of that, right? And I would say to you that that passes with flying colors. Without any hesitation. And I know there's critics and there's skeptics out there that says, hey, I'm not sure. All of, all of the people and the different tribes and the different nations, it's, there's no history of that. Really? Really? Let me give you an example. The Bible talks about a nation called the Hittites. And the critics came out and they said there's, there's no evidence to support a Hittite nation ever existed until 1906. Guess what they found? They found a Hittite city. 
Not only that, but the Bible talks about a guy by the name of King Belshazzar of Babylonia. And they said, well, there's no evidence of this guy ever being king. We can't trust it. The Bible is not true. But in 1956, historians found that this guy was who he said he was. Not only that, let's get a little more current. Until 1961, there was no historical proof whatsoever that there was a guy by the name of Pontius Pilate. Well, you, you remember him, right? This was the guy that, that was at the pivot point of all history. This was the guy that was left with the decision to either condemn Jesus or set Jesus free, and he condemned him. And yet, until 1961, there was no record outside the Bible this guy ever existed. But in 1961, an Italian archaeologist unearthed a tablet that referred to the first century governor of Jerusalem with the name Ponte Pilate. Do you follow me? Are you, are you with me? Do you understand where I'm going? The Bible passes the history test with flying colors. But not only that, it also has social evidence. There's some pretty amazing stories in this book. There was one time a guy by the name of Lazarus, he died. They put this guy in a tomb, put, the, put a rock over in front of it. Three days later, here comes Jesus talking about roll the stone away. Can you imagine the odor coming out of that thing? And yet Jesus spoke one word, the guy comes back to life. And then the guy talks about, the, the, the Bible talks about a guy by the name of Peter. And how Peter stepped over the side of a boat during the middle of a storm and walked across the water. Not only that, but there was one time where 5,000 men plus women and children were fed by a little boy's bag of lunch. If I was to stand here today and hold up a brown bag with some food in it and say, guys, I've got enough food right here to feed Johnston County for two weeks. And some of you would be like, man, that can't happen. But let's suppose it did happen. How many of you know years from now, somebody would come up and say, there's got to be evidence of that. There's got to be proof of that. Otherwise, that guy's crazy. And you're absolutely right. And here's where the proof is that Jesus is who he says he is. And these things did happen Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 6. He says, I passed on to you what I received. And this was most important. That Christ died for our sins as the scriptures say. He was buried and raised to life on the third day. And he showed himself to Peter and to the twelve apostles. After that to more than 500 believers at the same time. Most of them are still living today. These amazing stories that were being circulated as part of the New Testament, they were made available by eyewitnesses. And so if you had a critic or a skeptic that come up and say, man, I don't believe that. I don't believe that guy walked on water. I don't believe 5,000 people got fed. At that time, you had somebody to stand up and say, no, man, you don't understand. My uncle was there. Let's come talk to him. Let him tell you what happened. He was there. He witnessed it. They went up to people that actually had an encounter with Jesus and said, man, I was one of the 500. I saw him. It passes the test. Paul talked to them and said, hey, talk to these guys. See for yourself. They'll be glad to share their experiences with you. And, and what happened as a result of all of this? What happened as a result of the witness? The book of Acts birthed on the scene and the church began to explode. 3,000 people coming to the Lord one day. 5,000 people coming the next. The church was growing by leaps and bounds because of the testimonies of the people. It passes historical tests. It passes a social test. But there's, there's, there's a little more evidence here. There's got to be the personal evidence. 
There's got to be the personal evidence. We want more than historical evidence and social evidence. We want to know, does this work? Does it work? If this book is the Word of God, if these writings came to us from the hand of an Almighty God, then I ought to be able to read it, learn from it, apply it to my life, and have it make a difference in my life, right? I ought to be able to do that. Pastor, do you have anybody that can testify of that? How much time do you have today? All you got to do is look around this room and see people whose lives who have been impacted because of the gospel. I look around this room and I see a young lady who was once an alcoholic and yet she turned her life over to Jesus Christ, had an encounter with him, and now she is years later sober and clean and on fire for the cause of Christ. I see families who had no hope at all, and yet God put them together because they were willing to believe and receive and apply the word to their life, and now it's like honeymoon all over again. I see people who are business owners now who at one time were living in their car and they didn't have any money, but because of an encounter with Jesus Christ, now they are successful business owners. I see people right here in this church who had a battle with one of the most deadliest diseases, far deadly than Corona, which is cancer. And yet they had that encounter with Jesus. They had that healing touch from Jesus and they sit here among you healed and whole and free. How much time do you have? The people that are all around you can testify to the financial, to the emotional, to the spiritual problems they once had until they get to the part of the story where they say, then I met Jesus. And everything in their life changes. Something perks up on the inside of them. So I'm telling you here today, the Bible passes the personal experience test with flying colors. Let's look a little bit deeper. Let me give you three more details today as to why the Bible is what it claims to be. Three things. Number one, because it said so. Come on, how many of you growing up, mama said do it and you said why and what did she say? Because I said so. Come on, how many of you guys remember like old school Mathiolae? Come on, Aunt, where's my old folks at? There you go. Like that orange stuff. Put it on a cut, burn for five years. I mean, it's just there. But how many of you know mama believed in it? Come home with a broke arm. Mama talking about put my thigh on it. Why? Because I said so. The Bible is what it says it is because it says so. More than 3,000 times in the scripture, the Bible says God spoke, thus saith the Lord. You understand this is either the word of God or it's just a bunch of words on pages. It either is what it says it is or it's full of lies. Have you ever seen that bumper sticker that says God said it? I believe it. That settles it. Here's what I would say to you. God said it and it's settled whether you believe it or not. It is the truth because he says it's the truth. But not only because it says so, but... Because of the men who wrote it. The men who wrote it. I mean, look at the individuals that God used to write this Bible. I thought about Moses. Moses was the guy that wrote the first five books of the Old Testament called the Pentateuch. He wrote these. Moses was a man who was second in command to the greatest nation of the world at that time. 
He had the popularity. He had the money. He had anything you could ever dream or imagine. And yet he gave all of that up to lead his people into freedom. Are you willing to say that man's a liar? I thought about Peter, Peter who wrote a couple books in the New Testament. Peter, this simple fisherman who was so on fire for Jesus Christ, so sold out to Jesus Christ. He witnessed these things, he experienced these things, and yet at the end of his life, he was willing to be crucified upside down. Are you willing to dismiss all of the things he said? I thought about Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote half of the New Testament. Paul was an educated leader in society. He was wealthy. He had everything you could dream or imagine. And he gave it all up to go on mission trips to plant churches and tell people about Jesus. And during these missionary journeys, he was shipwrecked. He was beaten nine times. He was jailed. He was beheaded at the end of his life. Are you willing to say this man was a liar? I don't know about you, but I find it difficult to say that these guys were anything but exactly what they said they were. Human beings, imperfect, just like you and I, but they were absolutely committed to the cause of Jesus Christ because they believed God's Word. They believed God was who He said He was. But not only that, there's a third reason why the Bible is what it claims to be. Because it could have only come from God. It could have only come from God. You remember we taught earlier, all of these guys writing the Bible, all of these years, different places, different areas. How could it all communicate? How can it all come together? And I don't have time today. My time's running out. But there are over 600 prophecies in this book alone that have already come to pass. Things that were written six, seven hundred years ago that have already happened. Details. They knew exactly where Jesus would be born. They knew exactly whose family he would be born into. They knew exactly where he would live. And they knew exactly how he would die. 700 years before his crucifixion in Psalms chapter 22, 16 through 18. Listen to what it says. This gang of evil men circles me like a pack of dogs. They've pierced my hands and feet. I can count every bone in my body. These men of evil gloat and stare. They divide my clothes among themselves by a toss of the dice. Sound familiar? Sounds like just what happened at the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you something. Are you willing to dismiss all of that evidence? You ready to just kind of throw it aside and say it's not real? It's, it's not true? Are you willing to dismiss all of this just because Hollywood says so? Are you willing to dismiss all of this just because some politician stands up with an obvious agenda says so? Are you willing to do that? If you are, then I need to ask you one question today in closing. One question, if you don't accept the Bible as the inspired, transforming Word of God, if you don't accept all the immense amount of historical, social, and personal evidence that this and this alone is our compass for life, if you don't accept that, hear me, what's your plan B? Where else are you going to go to get the answers you need in life? See, my experience is not a matter of evidence. It's not even a matter of truth. 
A lot of people know the evidence about the Bible. A lot of people can say, well, yeah, I, I think it's true. But, but, but here's, here's what I see. Because looking at this book, admitting that it is what God says it is, requires me to take a long look in the mirror. may even require me to make some changes in my own life. Let's say I took this Bible. <clears throat> Funny churches are being closed, but strip clubs ain't. Just kind of saying. Let's say I took this and I walked into a strip club. I said, hey guys, brought my Bible in here tonight. Love to meet over here in the corner, talk about decency. Talk about self-respect. Y'all come on. I'm even though not going to get any takers. I doubt somebody's going to say, man, we've been waiting for you. Come on. I guarantee you that's probably not going to happen. But I don't think it's because they don't believe it's not true. I think it's because they know that if you ever get serious about this book, if you get serious about this word, it may require you to change your values. It may require you to change your lifestyle, your behavior, your vocabulary, your relationships. And some of you still would say, well, I'm, I'm not willing to do that. But in the face of such evidence, why would you not? So you may be here today, you may be listening by podcast, and you may be saying, well, well Pastor, I, man, I've never accepted Christ as my Savior. I, I don't really know about all of that. But, but again, lean in. What's your plan B? Where's your compass? You going to be like me? Wandering in a swamp? Can I, can I just tell you, realistically, that's what people are doing right now. They're, they're, they're wondering in this thing called life without a, without a compass to guide them. When God says, hey, it's the number one bestseller every year. It's easy to find. I guarantee if you look in your house long enough, you'll find one. There's your compass. Maybe some of you are saying, well, you know, I've accepted Christ. And I would gently nudge you and ask you, when are you going to get serious about this book? When are you going to get serious with having your life line up with it? Second Timothy says, you know, we're, 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 in a, we're in a state in our, I would even say our world right now. Where there's all this confusion, there's all this this chaos, there's all this, this fear. And the media is, is feeding on it. Stocks dropping. You're going to lose everything you got. Can I just say this to you? You know, gas has, has dropped 33%. I just, I just want to shed a little light on something for you. Gas has dropped 33%. Okay, it, it's dropped. Do you actually think these jokers have lost 33% profit. Nada. So, calm down. Second Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear. 
but of power and of love. You've got to have a sound mind. You've got you to use some wisdom. Jason, where are you at? Talked about that this morning. Got to use some wisdom. But my compass for life is this. Right here. Here's something I do, and, and some of you know this, some of you may not. This is one of four Bibles that I've been working on for several years now. I've got four kids. And when my time is up and I'm gone, I'm not going to leave them any money. Because they got it all while I was here. And what they didn't get, Mama got, in Jesus' name. (laughs) But what I am leaving them is years' worth of devotions that I have written in these books. And this is one of them. Along the margins, along the top, along the side, highlighted, red ink, black ink, you name it. Because one day they're going to come behind me if the Lord should tarry and they're going to open this thing up one day and they're going to read it. And in this thing, man, how did he know that? Man, how did he write that? He, he was thinking about me. Yes, I was. There's notes to my children in four different Bibles. I'm not done. Because I plan on living a long time. But every year I start fresh. This is one I finished last year. I've got a new one this year that I'm working on. And I write it down. Because this is my compass. And there's no amount of money. There's no amount of success. There's no amount of stocks. There's no amount of house or car. There's no amount of anything I can give them that can guide and direct their lives like this. I'm sold out to it. Are you? What are you passing down to the next generation? Do you believe that this book is the sole source of truth? Is it the compass for your life? Because it is. All you got to do is open it up and read it. If you've never developed anything of a relationship with God's Word, can I tell you a good place to start? You go to the New Testament. Again, there's the Old Testament and there's the New Testament. There's something called the Gospels. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I would encourage you to start with John. You're feeling down. You're feeling like you don't measure up. You're feeling like... Man, I I don't have what it takes. Can I just encourage you to turn over to Ephesians? That's in the New Testament. Read the first two chapters of Ephesians. I want to encourage you, highlight and underline everything that those two chapters say about you. You're chosen. You're redeemed. You're adopted. All of these things are right here in this book. You've got to apply them to your life if you want to be able to stand up and say, Nope, not today, Satan. Stand with me all over the house. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. 
The psalmist says exactly what this word is. It is a, it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We thank you for it. We accept it as our compass for life. It's our spiritual north star, if you will. And it's what we base our lives on. And Jesus, we thank you for these moments. We thank you for the day. And God, we, we can't end this service without continuing to pray for our nation. And pray for our leaders that you would give them wisdom. And help them, Lord, to know what they need to do. The direction they need to go in. Give each and every one of us as individuals, give us wisdom, Lord, and help us to take the precautions we need to without living in fear. Living and moving and going by the guiding of your Spirit. Lord, we receive that. Help us today, Lord. I don't know what the future holds. I don't know what next week looks like. I don't know what next Sunday looks like or the Sunday after that. I I, I don't know. But what I do know is that you hold the future in your hands. And we're yours. Have your way. Have your way. Maybe you're in here today and you say, Pastor, man, I'm really struggling right now. I, I need prayer. Would you just be willing to slip a hand and say, pray for me? I'm going through some stuff. Seize the hand. Seize the hand. Just going through some stuff right now. Father, you've seen these hands. And Lord, we put these individuals in your hands. And we ask that you would speak into their hearts and draw them closer to you. Lord, whatever that obstacle is, whatever that, that, that wall is in their face, God, may you tear it down. And give them freedom and give them peace. In Jesus name. Come on everybody say amen. Amen. I love you guys so much. I appreciate you. Uh, Let me encourage you. uh, Continue to look at bridgechurch.cc. Excuse me online. We'll do a call out as well. To you guys trying to keep you informed. On where we go from here. But guys let's pray. Let's pray and let's believe. I love you guys. I'll see you soon. Be blessed.